Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray for Ryan this morning. Lord, I pray that you would calm his nerves and his mind, that you would bring to his recollection the truth that he has prepared for us. Lord, as he preaches, I pray that uh, you would lessen his voice and magnify the voice of your spirit. For those of us who hear him, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And I pray that we would leave here transformed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Ryan figured, since I've got the same name, you might not notice if there's a switch today, but we'll see what happens. So, discipleship is a big, broad term that kind of means everything and nothing all at the same time, depending on who you talk to. Uh, I love what Brandon just said about these groups. There's, there's something powerful about people in relationship moving towards maturity in Christ together. It's, it's really been my story. I grew up uh, at, at Perimeter Church and, and had men invest in my life. I, I could probably tell you from the age four on up, people who for no particular reason other than love invested in me. And those are some of the most important people in my life. And I'm so thankful that God has put them there. And so it's my heart's passion now to help churches do that too, to help empower people to lead. So my role at Perimeter is is pastor of discipleship, but I also get to come alongside churches really all over the world and help them start disciple-making movements. And and as I hear from churches in different countries and different parts of our country, there's some similar things that I keep hearing over and over and over again. And so God has put this passage on my heart to share over and over and over again, because I think it's so key to the absolute heart of discipleship. I I believe, and this is no statistical research or anything like that, but I believe that one of the most, uh, one of the largest barriers to the spread of the gospel in the world is people who, who come to Christ, or at least associate with the church, but then never grow as a Christian. They just say, hey, let me be a part of the club, so to speak. But then that's it. That's, that's the end of their story, so to speak, with growth. If you're here and you're just investigating Christianity, probably the, the most sour taste in your mouth about Christianity is the same story. That's where hypocrisy just becomes rampant. I'm a part of this thing called the church, but I could care less about growing up in my faith. You know the stories. We hear the stories over and over and over again. Abuse in the church. An elder who tears apart the church because he's got a little place that he feels like he can be in control of everything, and if he doesn't have control, he tears it apart. Um... I think a lot of people, when they hear me say growth, they think knowledge. If I'm growing, that means I'm knowing more. That means I can pass some theological exam that I'm never going to take. 
Here, here's the issue. I think what happens is when we think about our growth, we start thinking about it in a really one-dimensional kind of way. Whether it's just knowledge or maybe it's just if I have this emotional experience every week or, or if I'm reading my Bible and I'm just feeling it, then, then that means I'm growing. But I think, I think the Bible calls us to something more holistic than just knowing more or just really feeling it every now and then. I think <clears throat> when, we, when we associate knowledge with maturity and that's it, we end up totally imbalanced. I think knowledge without any compassion is just arrogance. Uh, passion with no knowledge, a lot of times is just brash, come across as harsh or even hateful. Sometimes there's, there's deep compassion, but it's not undergirded by the truth of God's Word, and you end up with false teaching. Sometimes it, it leads to all these things like believing that you're not valuable unless you're only in vocational ministry. Only the, the pastors or the people that work at the church really get it. I'm just, I'm just second class. None of that is true, but it all comes from this imbalance, this, this look at discipleship that's not holistic. It's a look at discipleship that's just narrow and only a few things. But I think a lot of us, if you've had an experience with discipleship in the past, or you're just investigating things, sometimes what can happen is, is discipleship becomes focused on methods, very specific methods, and it just becomes one-dimensional. It often looks really different from what Jesus actually did. So, um, this passage is massively important. It's massively important for a couple reasons, but here's my big idea. Multiplying discipleship is empowered by grace. Multiplying discipleship is empowered by grace. If, if you were ever a part of any ministry that's related to discipleship, you've probably heard 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. Uh, it's, it starts with, I'm starting at one in my head, so I'm going to read it. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Um, this is like, you've, you've heard Ryan the past few weeks talk about the Great Commission and discipleship. This is, this is a few decades later after Jesus' commission, and this, in a sense, is Paul's final word. Second Timothy is a letter to, to Timothy, who Paul's been discipling for years now. And Timothy has helped start churches in several different places, and Timothy's now discipling people. But this is Paul's last letter. And just as the Great Commission was Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, this is Paul's last instruction to Timothy, one of his faithful disciples, on how is this thing going to carry out. So what you've been seeing is over a few decades, Jesus' command to his church to make disciples of all nations is happening. And we're getting like a little zeroed-in glimpse on where it's happening between these two. And Paul is doing the same thing Jesus did before he dies. He's telling Timothy, hey, carry this on. I want you to carry this on, just like Jesus called us to. And he, he's calling him to carry on the truth. The things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, that's almost like code language for when I'm preaching the truth of God's Word, those very things that you've heard me communicate, let that be the core of what you pass on. 
And what's really cool about this is this is, this is a multiplying vision. It's not just you get this and feel good about how much you know. Think about this. Paul gives us four generations when he's talking about this. He's talking to Timothy. We know Paul is talking. He's talking to Timothy. The things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be qualified to teach others also. That's four generations in that little verse. So what Paul's not saying is just get this and feel good about yourself. Feel like you know a lot. He's not just saying just get this and pass it on. He's saying equip the people that you're passing this on to to be able to pass it on to other people. Don't just develop other people to consume. And don't just develop leaders. Develop leader developers. So from the very beginning, he's thinking four generations down the road. I don't know what you think about in your workplace or in the church, but the goal isn't just get content across. The goal is lives transformed in a way that can transform more and more lives. We're called to be a blessing to the world. I, I got a little taste of what this might look like one time. Uh, in my work as I help churches learn to make disciples, one of the first places I ever did this was in Singapore. And I'm standing in front of a room of a ton of pastors. Most of them were, had been in ministry longer than I'd been alive. And I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing here? How can I help? And I'm, I'm sharing something very similar to this, that discipleship can have an impact far beyond what you can imagine that it multiplies to places that, that I could never reach, but the, God, the people that God has allowed me to invest in, they can. And I got to say, I never would have dreamed that I could make an impact in Singapore. And, and the reason that I can make an impact in Singapore is not because I'm standing here talking to people. It's because in Statesboro, Georgia, about 10 years before that, I met this goofball, and he fit well with me because I'm a goofball, and I started investing in his life and helping him grow. And we grew together over several years. And then uh, as, as he graduated from college, he got married, and he and his wife felt a call in their lives to be missionaries. And, and they, they moved to Singapore. And his heart was to invest in college students in Singapore because the Muslim world was sending their students there to Singapore. And Singapore was... Not a Muslim nation, but it was a place where the gospel could go out to tons of nations in this small little, little country that had an unbelievable influence in that area. And he was, he and his wife were sharing the gospel and discipling people there. And so I get to stand here in front of all these people and say, the reason I'm having an impact in Singapore is because God did something none of us would imagine a long time ago, and he put Danny in the back of the room right here to bring the gospel and to make disciples. You, you have no idea what God could do as you invest in other people. You have no idea the doorways that others can walk through that you'll never get to walk through, that God will multiply your investment into a few far beyond your imagination. It's a multiplying vision that excites me. So if you're just checking things out, what does all this mean? One, it means that Christianity is not consumerism. It's not church hopping to find the place that has your favorite music and your favorite preacher. It's a call to be a blessing to the world. 
Uh, I had a professor once say, you are not the end of your education. So as you're learning, as you're growing, the fruit of it is not just for you to kind of be the, the end of the line. The fruit of your growth is for others. As God calls some to be parents, the fruit of your growth now will have an impact on your kids for years to come. As you're called to invest in other people, that fruit will continue. So when you look at the church, when you look at your role in your Christian life, take in, enjoy the benefits of your growth, but always be thinking, not just the next generation, but be thinking three, four generations down the line. What could God do in places that maybe you could never reach? So, if you are a leader here, and you're thinking about what leadership looks like, don't look at only the next generation. Be thinking for developing leader developers. Have a longer view. Have a deeper vision for what God could call you into. But here's the thing. You've probably all heard, if you've been in part of any discipling ministry, you've all heard that little talk I just gave a hundred times. But here's the problem. 2 Timothy chapter 2 does not start with that. There's a verse 1 there, and I think the verse 1 lays the entire foundation for everything I just said. And so I want to spend more time digging into verse 1. You then, my son, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. All right, quick confession. Uh, I did a lot of school, uh, high school college, all that stuff. I, don't, I didn't get grammar at all. I'm still terrible at grammar, but when I had to learn a couple other languages, I had to start learning grammar, and, and when I read this passage, grammar finally makes sense for something. I'm really excited. But I know that when I say this, some of you will instantly fall asleep. You just can't help it because it's grammar, but I'm going to try, okay? Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That verb, I'm sorry, the verb be strengthened, it's present tense, you know what that one means. It's an imperative, an imperative means it's a command, something you have to do. But it's also passive, and passive is something that's done to you. So this verb is a passive imperative. Isn't that exciting? Don't you see how excited I am? Be strengthened by grace. What does that mean? It means you are commanded to let something happen to you. How do you do that? You're commanded to let something happen to you. You, you could say it this way. Paul is saying to Timothy, let grace wash all over you. Put yourself in a place where grace just washes all over you. I had a friend who used to say it this way. If you want to get... If you want to get a suntan, and I'm, I'm going to say this the natural way, okay, can we just, we'll, we'll take this analogy that direction. If you want to get a suntan, it's not going to happen in here. These lights are really bright. I can't see half of you, but these aren't going to get me a suntan, especially from here. What I'm going to do to get a suntan is I got to put myself outside in the direct rays of the sun. Whoa. Got to put yourself in the direct rays of the sun. And I think that's kind of what this verse is saying. Let grace wash over you. Put yourself in a place where you know those rays are shining the brightest. Put yourself in a place where grace can just cover you. So, present, 
passive imperative. Be strengthened by grace. Let grace wash over you. I'm going to use five quick episodes in Jesus' ministry of discipleship to show you a few ways that we can let grace wash over us. And what I'm doing in my head, just so that some of you know, is I'm using an acronym that I think about when I think about what a holistic discipleship experience looks like. And the acronym is TEAMS, Truth, Equipping, Accountability, Mission, and Supplication. Supplication just means prayer, but TEAMP doesn't make nearly as much sense. So I'm going to use a synonym there. But I'm, I'm just going to run through each of those five really quickly and show you what it might look like to see grace wash over us in a holistic discipleship experience. Now, you could use any five words. Those are just the ones that I like to use, and they make a clever acronym, so that's that. First, truth. Jesus, in making the truth known to his people, was overwhelmingly gracious. If you think about the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters 5 through 7, you might think if you're familiar with it, that doesn't sound very gracious. Because what Jesus is doing is he's saying, you've heard that it was said, um, you know, don't commit murder. But I say to you, if anyone hates his brother in his heart, he's commit murder in his heart. And you're like, how is that gracious? It seems like God is making a law that was already already pretty stiff, even harder to obey. How is that gracious? Think about it this way. If God created the entire universe, he, he created the world we lived in, He created you, He created me, He knows what it looks like to function best in the world that He made. And when God gives us His law, He's not giving us a law just to make sure we're obedient people. He's giving us his law because he knows how we work and he knows how the world works. And he says, when you live according to this, things work because I made you and I made this and that's how it all goes together. You, you will experience a flourishing that maybe you've never experienced before if you live according to the design that I made you for. So when God gives you his law, he's gracious in giving you his law because he's, he's showing you what it looks like to live in the world that he's made for you. At the same time, he's protecting us from when we, we don't live according to our design and all of the damage that can come from that. Think about it this way. If we all just perfectly obeyed only one commandment, um, well, let's, let's even take that anger one. So Jesus says, if you, if you hate somebody in your heart, then you've murdered them. Just think about driving every day if anger weren't a thing that you had to deal with. Like my shoulders would be two inches lower, right? Because I'm like this constantly, why in the world would you pull in front of me right now? Okay, <laughs> I can deal with that, right? But just imagine how much, just one little thing, if everybody in the world lived in perfect obedience to God's law, I don't think we could quantify how much better our life would be. I can think of little episodes where, yeah, that would be nice if anger didn't just rage up in me. Can you imagine if all people lived according to God's law? Think about stealing. <laughs> there wouldn't be like a door lock industry. Can you imagine? I mean, the massive ramifications from just a few of the Ten Commandments. So as God gives us these laws, they're liberating. So when Jesus calls us into obedience, when he gives us his truth, his truth always sets us free. And so as we enter into discipleship, as we get the truth of God washing over us, we start to see, wow, 
this is who I am. This is what I was made for, and I, I realize that the truth actually does set me free. Jesus wasn't just trying to be clever or attractive, it's true. So as we grasp the truth of God, grace washes over us, and we get set free. Equipping. The, the way I distinguish uh, truth from equipping is I think about truth as, as I want to live I want to understand who God is and who I am. In equipping, I understand how I live that out day to day. In equipping, I, I think about um, Matthew 13, 36. Jesus has just preached a parable to a bunch of people. I always think this is an interesting thing. He's preached a parable to a bunch of people, and, and you, you're not sure if they totally got it or not. And then the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, what were you talking about? And he's like, let me explain it to you. So that's what this verse is. He left the crowds and he went to the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. I'm not going to go into the whole parable, but, but basically what's happening is Jesus has given them the truth. But now as they walk through life together day after day after day, he's saying, hey, here's how you live that out. Here's how you live it out. And I'm going I'm to switch it over to our world. Here's how you live it out when you go to work tomorrow. Here's how you live it out when you're in conflict with your family. That's what happens in equipping, and that's why uh, in Jesus' ministry, it wasn't just a preaching ministry. You know, we find if we, if we look at the majority of Jesus' ministry, we, we really only have one sermon recorded. We have lessons over and over and over again that happen in everyday life as Jesus is, is living life with the men that he's discipling. And I think this is just a small picture of the types of things that happened over and over and over again. They came to Jesus not just to know more content, but to say, how does this matter in my life? What do I do with this today or tomorrow? So, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Equipping is rooted in God's Word. It's Scripture, but it's lived out in relationship. Equipping is lived out in relationship as we understand what it looks like uh, to live according to God's Word. So I think about it like a math teacher. I, you're you're going to laugh because I'm going through like every subject in school now and saying how terrible I was at it. So math, I was terrible at math. Grammar, math, there's not much left for me. I remember sitting in high school classes and the math teacher would do a problem on the board and you're taking notes and you're learning how to do it and you're like, I totally got that, right? And then you go home and you're like, I totally don't got that. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. There are numbers here and before I had an answer and now I've got nothing. We need people to walk alongside of us. It's like, okay, I heard something cool Ryan said at church on Sunday. On Tuesday, I'm really angry because somebody just cut me off. I think he said something about it, but how do I do this now? Right? That's why we need people in a relationship. We hear the truth, but we've got to get it massaged into our hearts so that we can actually live it out. As, as we help people and as others help us grasp more deeply who we are in Christ and what it lo looks like to live out that freedom that His truth brings. 
grace washes over us again. We start to not just know that this could set me free, but we start to experience how it does set us free. Accountability. This next one is fun. Some people, uh, if, you, if you were in any kind of church background, you hear accountability. Some people are like, yeah, that's cool. And some people are like, I want to throw up and run. Please don't use that word. Here's the problem. So many times accountability just comes across as you better do more and you better do it right. When I think about accountability, I think about the gospel transforming us. Listen to how Jesus uh, graciously and lovingly challenges his people. So, this is, this is Mark 10, and this is one of many occasions where his disciples were arguing about who's better. Like, be more subtle, guys, right? Um, I've been in conversations where one person's trying to top the other person. That's what I kind of picture here over and over and over again, and Jesus is like uh, the creator of the universe, and they're trying to argue who's better. <laughs> Can you imagine what that's like for him? I can't. Side note, sorry. Okay, Mark 10. Uh, I'm going to start in 42. And Jesus called them to him and said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many." See, when his disciples are trying to one-up each other, they're, they're grabbing for power. They're grabbing for status. Jesus doesn't just say, stop it. You guys are being dumb. Jesus says, be a servant. But the only way you understand what a servant is, is you, is you look at the way that I've served. The creator of the universe comes down to the earth he made that's been broken by his people, and he serves. And he serves to the point of death so that we wouldn't have to constantly be pushing for power and prestige to find our worth and our identity. We could realize that, that He has made us His. He's made us His beloved. He's made us His treasured. And because He's made us that, I don't have to live this tiring, exhausting, constant, pressure-filled life of trying to make myself worth something because He says, you're worth it to me. So when Jesus calls us into accountable relationships, it's not just a relationship that's pushing you to do better and be better, but it's a relationship where we say, I can't. I'm in desperate need of help. Point me to the one who can help. Point me to the one that can transform me. Grace transforming us as it washes over us, not just correcting our behavior, but changing us at the very core of who we are to empower us to live out who God has made us to be. Uh, mission. I want to do this one quickly, but I think it's incredibly powerful too. Jesus doesn't just say, go beyond mission. He calls us to make the gospel known in word and in deed, to love people, to serve people, to, to let them know about this gracious kingdom of God, both through what we say communicating who Jesus is and the way that we serve. But I love the way he does it. it in in uh, Luke chapter 10, 
He sends out 72 to go proclaim the kingdom. They go out physically healing people. They go out telling people that Jesus has come and that things are changing in the world. But what's really cool is when they get back. I love this little episode. Uh, It starts in verse 17, and the 72 returned with joy, so they've been out for a few weeks, and they says, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Wow. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. So pause real quick. These normal, everyday people, they went out to proclaim the kingdom, like Jesus said, and they healed people. We've got to think about that like we would today. Like, I've never healed somebody before. Jesus told me to go, and then I did it. Huh? So they come back, like, really excited. Like, we just saw stuff that we have never seen in our lives, and somehow we did it. This is awesome. People were hearing, and people were seeing, and people were believing. This is unbelievable. And Jesus is like, yeah. Yeah, it is. And I've given you a power beyond anything you can imagine, but, verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus is saying again, even as you see incredible things happen, as you go out on my mission, your identity, your self-worth is not rooted in your success. It's rooted in me, who has given you a place in the kingdom. So you go out on mission, not to make commission and get yourself some points so that you can get there. You go out on mission because you have already got a home with me. And you get to share with other people the incredible freedom of resting in this kind of grace. That's what empowers our mission. And then finally, uh, prayer. I love this. Jesus, how does he teach his disciples to pray? They just watch him. Luke 11, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. They were watching him. They've been watching him pray over and over and over and over again. And finally, they just come to him and say, hey, how do we do that? It wasn't a sermon. It was just his life lived out in front of them day after day after day. And he teaches them how to pray. This, I don't know if we realize the incredible power of prayer. We get to go before the very God of the universe, the one who has all of the power. We get to walk up to him because of Jesus and say, Daddy, I need your help. And we have that intimacy there because Jesus has made a way for us to be that close to God the Father. In this whole discipling experience, prayer is not just an added on peace. I think it's at the very core of it that we get this deep, constant, and intimate communion with God the Father that can never be broken because Jesus has made us his children. It's unbelievable. So I I just gave us five examples of, of what discipleship looks like in a way that grace infuses every bit of it. Truth, equipping, accountability, mission, and prayer. It's not just truth. 
It's not just accountability. It's not these things standing on themselves, but it's these five things all weaving with each other in relationship with other people that makes for a holistic discipleship. But all of it, every bit of it is not just method. It's not just routine. It's not just clever ideas. It's all means for us to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's, that's in a discipling relationship, a discipling experience, but you've also got this church. Every week you've got opportunities to let grace wash over you as you hear the word preached, as you get to connect with one another, not putting on a show and trying to look good, but, but being able to show up to a place where you can just be who you are, and as you need help, and as others need your help, you can just enter in. And the means of grace that we're going to take advantage of in just a few minutes, what an incredible opportunity to let grace wash over us. But briefly, I just want to give us a few uh, practical ways that we can let grace wash over us day after day after day. This is, this is how I think we avoid this imbalanced, hypocritical Christianity that can so easily ride on the coattails of a clever program with some helpful methods. We root ourselves in the gospel. So the first thing that I want to challenge all of us with is to embrace the gospel. If you're just investigating Christianity here today, what you've been hearing over and over and over again is not that you've got to get your act together, look better, do better, be better. The message of Christianity is that Jesus has come into the midst of our mess and he's cleaned up the mess we couldn't clean up. He died for all the results of the mess I've made by my mistakes, by my outright rebellion. So when you come to him, you don't come because you got it all together. You come because you need him to change us. To the Christian, we've got to remember that every single day. Preach the gospel to yourself day after day after day. I love in the Psalms, David will write a psalm to his own soul. He says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. I think we're called to remind ourselves what is true day after day after day. Uh, this church holds to something called the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's, it's a summary of what we believe the Bible teaches. And, and one of the things that it talks about when we repent, when we turn from our sin, it says that we confess our specific sins specifically. If you're anything like me, it's easy to come to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me for my sins, move on. But when I really drill down in the specific stuff, that's when I really start to feel it. Like, God, could you really actually forgive that, though? It's easy for me to say, forgive my sins. It's harder for me to say, forgive me for that really nasty junk in my heart that keeps coming up over and over again. But when we get down to those specifics, we realize the massive power of the cross of Jesus. Here's one for me. I am really insecure, and I'm terrified of what people think about me. And so my sin is not believing that Jesus says I'm worth it. I've, <laughs> I was meeting with somebody who I thought was important, and I was terrified, and I sat in the parking lot not wanting to walk into the restaurant because I thought, if this person doesn't think well of me, I'm going to be crushed. 
Jesus doesn't hold enough weight in my life to hold up my identity. That person does. You can see I've totally missed it, right? So here's what it looks like for me to learn to preach the gospel to myself when I don't believe I'm worth it. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on you that you should be children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. But beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. The reason I know that verse so well is because I have to say it over and over and over and over again to remind myself that Jesus has called me his beloved child. And somebody else's opinion cannot crush me because he has made me his. So what is it for you? That's my really, really specific thing that I struggle with day after day after day. What is the truth that you needed to be reminded of in those moments where it feels like sin is wrecking you? Get specific and then preach the gospel to yourself over and over and over again. Let grace wash over you. The gospel isn't just your entrance into Christianity, it's the substance of your entire walk with Jesus. So don't let it just be past tense. Let it undergird everything that you are. Uh, second thing that I would challenge us with, get help in your growth. We're not called to do this by ourselves. Brandon was just talking about those discipleship groups. If you can connect with one of those groups, my hope and prayer is that it would be something where you are letting grace wash over you over and over and over again. It's a community where you can let that happen, where, where somebody in my group can come up to me and say, Ryan, I know you had a meeting this week. How did you walk in? Because he knows my struggle, he knows my insecurity, and he knows those moments where I'm going to really wrestle. And I need those people in my life. So if you're in a season of life where you can plug into that, do it. Do it. If you're not in a season, that's okay. Take advantage of this community that God has put you in right now to be reminded over and over and over again of the grace that you have. And then third, and I want to talk specifically to a few who are, are leading groups like that right now. In your group, build a community of grace. Uh, a lot of you, if you've been here the last few weeks, you've heard stories of people who said, I shared something with my group that I'd never shared with anybody. That is an incredible moment. But that moment happens because trust has been built over time and it's become a place where, where grace reigns, not performance. So as a leader, what does it look like to build an environment, a group, where grace reigns and people can come in and not put together, but people can come in in need and we can grow side by side. And then as you're thinking about this movement, coming back to where we started, build a vision that is a multiplying vision, not just a consumer vision to, to get everybody happy right now, but, but build a vision in your own heart and those you invest in that are thinking generations down the line. Look at what God could do. When the gospel of grace is core to our discipleship, multiplication is going to take care of itself. But if you don't start by being strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus, you're going to have a movement that is just method and exhaustion and burnout. 
But that's not what God has called us to. That's not what his church is about. That's not what his gospel is about. Before you even begin to think about a multiplying movement, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are in desperate need of you. We don't have it all together. We're here because you rescued your people and you give us freedom. Lord, would you let your grace wash over us now in a powerful way. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.